welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. And welcome back. Yes, it is the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. It is 2018. It is currently, because we're going to be talking about some current events here, so I want to make sure we date this. It is currently Tuesday, January 16th. Martin Simmons! What's up, dude? What up, man? Uh, you know, we, we've, uh, I feel like we've been a little bit lax on getting the pods out lately. we got to get back on track here. Um, I, I'll take the blame for that. It's been a, been a busy travel month here for me, but... Um, there's all of a sudden we got a lot to talk about. I'm sitting here in, in like Buffalo, Tennessee, looking at the snow out my window. Yeah, you've got um, you've got a real live <laughs> snow event going on in uh, in Nashville. Yeah, snowpocalypse 2018, <laughs> um, and uh, so we're, I'm I'm just trying to survive this thing, uh, wait it out, trying to let let the kids drive us crazy, and uh, it's good to talk a little ball in the mix. Yeah, lo- good to talk a little bit about. I mean, we. Uh, that's right. We haven't even gotten back um, since the national championship game. No, I don't think we have. I don't. Did you did you tally up how everyone did in the in the in the picks? I need I need to do the final <laughs> uh, the final uh, cashing on uh, on all the props. Right, right. <laughs> that's that's going to take a calculator. That'll be a little bit tougher. But the uh, the the game and the way it played out and everything else. That's uh, there's. I don't think anybody anybody had that right. You know. I don't think anybody called all the twists and turns in that game. Uh, we got a lot to get to. We're going to talk about coaching changes, um, some of the decisions for the NFL draft, who came back, who declared, what that means for 2018, and of course some of Barton's thoughts from uh, the All American game. So I just real quick on the title game, as you were watching it, at what point did you call Alabama is going to come back and win this thing? Uh, so I was texting with friends during this game and as like as suit like to his probably second drive the one that ended with the touchdown pass to rugs it made it 13 to 7 i guess that was it yeah because i mean obviously the first one he had the interception but that second drive it was like well this is we this is a whole different game now because and i, I kind of had that sense as soon as Tua tried it out i was like because people were you know i was texting with buddies who were like trying to decide whether to you know what to play in the second half uh you know what to play the halftime line and i was like look george is gonna end up winning this game um alabama just can't i mean they're, they're not going to be able to move the ball and i didn't i hadn't thought about the, the possibility of tua coming in at that point but as soon as i saw tua trot out as the second half starter in my head i was like this is a game changer because <laughs> i i know what that dude can do and and even after that interception i don't know if you saw this like when after the interception like they showed a shot to the sideline and tua had his arm around saban like consoling him being like don't worry coach i got it we're good and sure enough, like he goes right back out there and drives down the field and scores. Like, so yeah, like I don't know if I necessarily thought Alabama was going to win, right, at that point. But I was like, this is this is no longer some foregone conclusion. Like we've got ourselves a battle all of a sudden. I, um, and man, what a what a way to end it. I uh, I went to take a spin around the concourse and the stadium, which I would guess uh, of the 77,000 in attendance, I would guess like no joke 50 to 55 of them were Georgia fans. They were doubling up on beer orders. They were hugging. (laughs) They were high-fiving. Like the championship celebration was underway at halftime in the concourse. 
and that's when I was like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> like like it, it was it was the overconfidence of all of the Georgia fans in that building at halftime that had me being like that we're two dumb plays away from Alabama not just being back in it but leading in this right. game. That was like there is no way that this thing is over quite yet. I I love the whole two experience cuz you mentioned the interception like it was a run play. Every wide receiver was run blocking. Right. And he just <laughs> ran it out and and threw it. And then it's like then you had like uh the 16 yard loss on the sack in overtime which put uh Andy Papanasty way out of his field goal range. Like game could have been over, but then there's no way that anybody else on the field is able to make that look the safety off and throw it back to the left other than that southpaw with the big cannon uh, attached to his body to well, a tag of Aloha. Those two overtime plays, the sack and then the touchdown, are are such like a, a, a perfect microcosm of just like the Tua experience because and even just the Alabama experience with Tua because, yes, he had a, it was a stupid boneheaded sack to take. And, and then he bounces back, no flinch, like no, like no panic in him. And, and to your point, like he made a, like there's no way that you can make that throw without looking off the safety for the entirety of the route right. until the last second. And then, and, and the other part of it, they showed an angle on TV where it was like sort of an ISO on, on uh, the cornerback and, and Devontae Smith. And Devontae Smith ran an unbelievable route. Like he... The way he uh, took an outside stem in order to get an inside release that basically removed any possibility of the corner getting a reroute on him, um, you know, made it tougher for the safety then to get over the top, uh, and then Tua just to hit it in stride. Like that is just sort of this welcome to 2018 moment where you say this Alabama team next year is going to be unbelievable and they're going to be so fun to watch because I've been saying it since day one like their three freshman wide receivers are are unreal like there were three of our top four in the class last year and now you have this kid Tua throwing it to him and you always have the run game element in Alabama Damian Harris is coming back we'll talk about that like this is going to be the best Alabama offensive personnel Nick Saban's had by far yeah uh, and uh, so Jerry what, Judy what is that team going to look like yeah Jerry Judy Ruggs Devonta Smith uh, Najee Harris, who was just the running back for most of that comeback, too. Right, right. Oh, man. And then Alex Leatherwood, like the true freshman, stepped in for Jonah Williams and left tackle during that game. Uh, he wasn't even like he wasn't even necessarily beating out the other true freshman, Jedrick Wills, for the backup job through most of the preseason. Um, like it's just it's this this freshman class offensively is just un, uh, unreal. It was so, uh, shout out to. Uh, my good buddy Robbie Calland, who suggested during the game, and uh, and I had sort of passed it along to anybody else who was sitting around me. It it was almost as if uh, Saban went to all the players Kirby hadn't seen yet. Like Kirby <laughs> still knows the tendencies of most of that Alabama roster, so he's like, "All right, fine. Here's the 2017 recruiting class on offense. Right, good luck." Right. That's a great point. I mean, really, like that's what basically what happened. Oh man, <laughs> insane stuff. Uh, all right. So as uh, as we start to move on, uh, Alabama is going to have to replace Brian Dable takes the job as the offensive coordinator at the Buffalo Bills. Jeremy Pruitt is obviously going to be uh, the head coach at Tennessee. Are where is the the level of uh, concern, interest, or intrigue 
on your part when it comes to the fact that Alabama is going to have to replace an offensive coordinator yet again, uh, going to have to go, you know, all of a sudden get a new defensive coordinator. Like I, am I, am I, um, downplaying this? Like the fact that I'm not concerned, like, is there any, does that make sense? Like you, normally you'd be like, oh my gosh, they have to replace their offensive and their defensive coordinator yet again. Think about this turnover. Think about the, you know, the issues that could arise as as they try to get back into it and try to win another national championship in 2018. Yeah, I mean, they're about to, this will be their what fourth offensive coordinator in a year. Yeah, and if you're counting that, Steve, Steve Sarkeesian changeover yeah, too. Yeah, Kiffin, Sarkeesian, Dable, and I'm with you, Chip. I'm I'm not worried. Uh, the only the like the only way that this would sort of hit my radar as far as something to sort of keep an eye on is is if they hire someone that's a little bit, um, you know, strays from the direction that their offense has been going uh, schematically or or in, in in terms of philosophy principles. But no, I mean, like right now, it's, it feels like, and again, we're talking on Tuesday, January sixteenth. It feels like. The, the leader here is gonna is is uh, Mike Loxley just to be promoted internally, um, and and I almost think that's the right move if you're Nick Saban. Like I, I've seen names like Matt Canada floated, um, and to me that's like that would be overthinking it. You know, like that's you don't need all that window dressing. Loxley's like, been need, there for three years, right? Yeah, just like this offense is so ready made. Just bring somebody in that can let these guys go out and run. Like, you don't have – they're going to be better offensively from a personnel standpoint by far than anybody they face. And so let's not overthink this thing. Let's just let's just keep doing what, we've do, what we're doing and, and pound people. And so I'm not worried about that. And, of course, like, Nick, as long as Nick Saban's there, why would you, we worry about the defense? Yeah. Uh, so, yes, like – and it feels like at least Tosh Lupoi might have at least a co-DC title. Um, you know, where do they go beyond that? I, you know, I don't know. But, but look, the, the names that have been floated around for Bama have been Chip Long at Notre Dame. Uh, Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze. Like, what do you think about that one? I, I, I think that would be scary for the rest of the SEC in the country if Hugh Freeze is is in there. What, what, are you, what's, what do you think about the other opportunity or options there at OC? I, I think Chip Long's a bad fit. I think Hugh Freeze is super interesting because then it's like, like Hugh Freeze to me is one of those things that's probably better for the media and probably better for like just the general college football hype machine because Hugh Freeze put it on Alabama. Like that would be Nick Saban going to get, uh, the coach who masterminded an offense that gave Alabama fits and even like going beyond that, we were talking about all those uh, freshman wide receivers, like the offense that Ole Miss ran and the talent that Hugh freeze and his staff recruited at wide receiver was unbelievable. And the, the ways that they schemed up, uh, schemed up ways to get them the ball, to spread the field, to stress the defense, all that seems awesome. But I, I think that's more of like a sexy, fun, like I get excited about it because it brings these interesting storylines into play and, and it brings good talking points. I think the smart decision, like you mentioned, is let, like Loxley came in, what, two or three years ago just as one of the the quality control guys. Like as Saban keeps building up this, this army right. of analysts that eventually can 
be slid right in. Like I don't, I almost, if I'm an Alabama fan, it has nothing to do with uh, Hugh Freeze necessarily being like a the former Ole Miss coach as much as Hugh Freeze just being any kind of outsider who might have to, like Lane Kiffin, adjust to the marching orders where clearly Loxley is already in. He already knows the, the he knows the drill. He knows the expectations. Uh, there's like zero percent chance that outside of you know bet poor performance, which I'm not expecting given the personnel. I, I just don't see us. Uh, I don't see us drawing any like negative thoughts or, or zooming in on you know is is this relationship working out? Where if Hugh Freeze comes in, it becomes a massive storyline again. Sexy, good for the media, good for talking points, fun to you know shoot the breeze with other SEC fans. But I think for Alabama, the smart decision is to promote Loxley. But I think Hugh Freeze would. Like, there's a lot of reasons Hugh Freeze is, is is more than just a like sexy like fun name to talk about because he is he's sort of a I mean he was on the front end of this RPO stuff he's sort of an RPO guru his, his offenses have been I think that's a that's two was a perfect fit for that sort of offense now obviously Nick Saban needs to make sure that if if Hugh comes like that there's a power run game element that they were missing late in his, his old Miss tenure um, you know they. He, he had Dan Warner on his staff, Hugh Freeze's old offensive coordinator, as one of those, like you mentioned, off-field Army analysts uh, who's now heading to South Carolina as a quarterback's coach. So there's clearly some intrigue there with the system. I think Hugh Freeze, given all his off-the-field drama, is ready to just go back to work and just get an opportunity to coach and be on the staff. And I think Nick Saban is one of the few coaches that has the sort of political capital to absorb whatever – blowback he may receive from a PR standpoint and hiring a guy like that so I, I think this is like I'm intrigued by it and I think this is a real op, like a real possibility um, and uh, but I but like you said I think and I'm not even necessarily some Mike Loxley believer from an offensive mindset perspective just I just think he's like you don't need to overthink it. Like, just you know, there's not any reason to try to go out and hire the next Lincoln Riley. You just, just, just get somebody in there that's not going to screw it up. Hugh, and, Hugh and, Freeze uh, is the continuation of the Alabamas, where you go to rehab your career. Right, <laughs> right. You know, yeah. I mean, like, it's it's that would that would be basically what three of the four offensive coordinators were basically like rehab projects. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just just go to Alabama. You don't have to talk to anybody and. I did you I found it interesting that Dable left. I didn't. Okay. Uh I I I I mean there were sort of rumblings that like this what like I I I get I think that Nick Saban was like, "Hey man, if you get a a NFL opportunity, do me a favor and take it." <laughs> you know, like look look at what their offense was this year and it I think it was I think it lacked identity. I think it 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 lacked evolution. I I I think Nick Saban was demonstrating some frustrations with it towards the end of the year. I I think that this was not necessarily um, a surprise to Nick Saban. That gotcha. that's my that's my hunch. I mean, you know, if he he came from the NFL, he's right back in the NFL. If it's if that's a better fit, and the I mean, uh, he accomplished. Yeah, I mean, he, he accomplished what he wanted on his end too like he he was a former nfl oc 
He had been with the Patriots, Patriots as a position coach for a couple of years. I'm sure, like, I'm sure he wanted to get back into the NFL as an offensive coordinator, anyways. And he, you know, he did it. He raises his his brand a little bit, and, and um, you know, he's back where he wants to be. Uh, we last time we were to, together here on the podcast, we were discussing um, the the Rich Rodriguez situation his ouster at Arizona and uh just in the last couple of days Arizona announces actually I think the press conference is going to start here in about an hour um Kevin Sumlin lands there uh, a name that we had mentioned uh you know just uh you know one of the the be- probably one of the best available like if you if you're just going for poking your head out and looking around for a best available coach who can come in and and know immediately what to do and you know, Arizona found itself in a tough spot. So now we've got the excitement of Kevin Sumlin and Khalil Tate. If you are a Kevin Sumlin fan, this certainly seems like a pretty good opportunity for him to be able to, you know, cook for a little bit. I, I would say that one thing that stands out to me is this is a very different uh, gig for him in terms of the expectations and the day-to-day pressures. Uh, one where... If, if you really were a big Kevin Sumlin believer coming off of being 12-0 and 0, uh, at Houston in the regular season and, and everything that he built to that point, this could be another spot where he takes off. I've Barton, I'm, I'm struggling to find a lot of downside to this decision by Arizona uh, in a tough spot to reach out to Sumlin. It makes a lot of sense from Arizona's standpoint. It, I mean, and, and I'll be honest with you, I was, as my dog, you know, barks at me because she wants to go outside and play in the snow. But I, I was hopeful Ken Neomatololo would be the pick because I'm just I, I'm just fascinated to see what he would do in an opportunity like that, especially with a quarterback like Khalil Tate. I don't know that even necessarily we would have seen like this sort of um, flex bone triple option. Like I, I think you could have seen more of a Oregon looking spread. But I look Kevin. It, this makes less sense. This makes a ton of sense on the Arizona side. Kevin Sumlin is a is a good coach. He's had success developing quarterbacks. Um, offense will be squared away. He's got a relationship with Marcel Yates, who's probably going to be the defensive coordinator. Um, so that's that. There's maintained some some continuity there. It makes a little less sense to me on the Kevin Sumlin side. I mean, that guy just got out of the pressure cooker in in, in College Station. I guess he just wants to work, but he's about to get a ten million dollar wire transfer like this week from Texas A and M. Like, he's a great fit as a personality on TV. Like, he could sit there and and let that $10 million gain interest for, like, a year, maybe even two, as a, as a star TV analyst and then be, like, the name in two years to just sort of jump back into one of the big-name openings. Um, so... Instead, he goes and takes this Arizona gig, and and hey, it's not a bad gig. They got a really young, talented roster on defense. They got a Heisman Trophy candidate at quarterback. Uh, but you know, it's you're in the S, you're in the Pac-12 South. Um, I Financial guess they, advisor Barton Simmons bringing the heat. <laughs> <laughs> I I just like I've heard rumblings that like he does it like. I don't know. I don't want to. I, I there's. I guess I. I just. I don't know. I. It makes some sense on the surface, but I, if if I'm Kevin Sumlin, I'm not sure why I, I I rush into this gig. I mean, but he's already, like, he already has. Uh, again, and I think I've mentioned this before. The the Pac-12 South is not intimidating. 
you could very quickly. Uh, well, it got more. It, it, you, there, there's like a push there. Like, yeah, Arizona State is much less of a factor, you, you feel like, with Herb Edwards, but certainly UCLA is about to become more of a factor. True. Um, I don't USC's know. always going to be USC when you're comparing it to Arizona. Yeah, for sure. Khalil Tate, man, he ruined it by uh, talking trash on uh, Ken Niamatololu on Twitter. <laughs> I, I wonder if, if, if Ken was just like, you know what? Have fun. Khalil because my understanding is he was the top target and basically and like you know nobody nobody is offered a job until they accept it you know yeah 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 we all get it but the the way that the coaching search played out according to the reports it certainly looked like target one was Ken he was like you know what I'm gonna reaffirm my commitment to Navy and then someone was right there to say yes yeah I mean and yeah and there was a lot of names that were sort of floated around. Like there's, you know, I guess um, Jed Fish's name was in the mix there. Um, there was, uh, oh, who who did Dick Tomey say that he was like hoping would get hired? Um, oh, I mean, they, like there was all the kind of like sort of not obscure, but like random names that that you wouldn't expect necessarily being floated around with that job. And um you know, I think it's it's they they went with I think a safe quality hire. Yeah. All right. Um so what do you all right, over under Arizona seven and a half wins in twenty eighteen. Um without looking at the schedule, I'll go I'll go over. You know, I think they could go, I think they could get eight and I think they could get to eight and four. Yeah. That's doable to me. Man, that'll uh he does retain Marcel Yates as defensive coordinator. Um, and as you mentioned, that's a young defense. There was some, uh, all right, we've got a list of some assistant coach moves. Uh, you know, we were just talking about uh, all, all the different dominoes that were falling, Alabama being in the mix. So after trying to get Dave Aranda from LSU, Texas A&M gets big time big time podcast you know this podcast is the big mike elko fan big time <laughs> big time mike elko fan uh elko goes to a&m gets a boat boatload of money uh he is the notre dame does an internal promotion to replace him alex grinch uh gets goes from washington state after three years in pullman each year that defense got better he j- becomes co-defensive coordinator over at ohio state um lsu lets matt canada go uh brings in the 84 year old version of ed orgeron according to the headshots have you seen that no i haven't <laughs> if you that look if you, if you look at ensminger and uh coach o side by side it looks like a what he will look like in 20 years type photo <laughs> um, awesome. Derek Dooley lands at Missouri like what's of, of these off of these different coordinator moves which one has really uh shaped the way that you view a particular team either with uh the loss of someone or the addition of someone um I I think that I continue to worry about the trajectory of LSU yep um for a couple of reasons one you're now Ed Orgeron is is I don't know what his contract is, but I think I I believe he's in the three million dollar range, three three and three and a half maybe something like that. 
now you're paying your defensive coordinator two and a half million. Like, is this guy is, is he a co-head coach? Like, that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty clear statement that the value there your value is diminishing. <laughs> you know, and and if you need to pay that much to to keep a defensive coordinator on staff, and if he's that important, um, and conversely now. When Ed Orgeron was hired, what was the pitch? The pitch was, I'm going to take over this program. We're going to recruit at a really high level, and I'm going to go recruit. You know, the recruiting starts with the coordinators. I'm going to recruit the best coordinators in college football, Dave Aranda and Lane Kiffin. Well, Lane Kiffin goes and takes the FAU job. Well, who's the second best coordinator in college football? I I think Matt Canada was like a reasonable pick as the second best coordinator in college football. I, I, I was certainly that bullish on him. And I don't think we anything we saw in the 2017 season makes me fall off that position. I still think he's really good. LSU improved offensively. I think that they in, in year two under Matt Canada they would have been even better. Uh, so now because you couldn't get along with Matt Canada or because there was you know headbutting in the office, you, you get rid of Matt Canada and you go to Steve Insminger who. Would have probably been Ed Orgeron's preferred hire initially, but he just had to make a splash. And I, it's not that I don't, I think probably Steve Insminger's a, a good offensive coordinator. I mean, he certainly looked good in, a, in an interim role two years ago. But all of a sudden, like, what, what, are, what is the sort of big picture here? Like, what, what, is, the, what is the sort of 30,000-foot view of the LSU program right now it's just not what it was sort of pitched to be when Ed Orgeron took over. So I, and you just look at that, and I, you know, and, and they're recruiting at a, they're recruiting well. I mean, they're right outside the top ten, but it just doesn't feel like the same trajectory we were on a couple of years ago with LSU. I'm a little worried about that program. That was a long answer. What's where are you at? I I think that because uh, some of these some of these moves and or not the the ones I just mentioned, not all of them, but we just got the tenth assistant coach. So, like, Ohio State didn't have to let anybody go to get Grinch. So, I look at Ohio State, and I'm like, wow. You just, right. you know, you you didn't have to fire anybody. You didn't have to lose anybody. You just went out with your, like, I thought Ohio State was the biggest winner because they didn't have any subtraction. It was only addition, and it was with who I considered, you know, one of the top young uh coordinator assistants in the country and now he is you know think about the the way that he is going to be able to take the the talent upgrade that he has as a coach when it comes for scheming up those pressures figuring out ways to uh create really really tough defensive fronts you know you go from washington state where i think that there was maybe some overperformance to ohio state and uh, i i was like wow you know and it's ohio state it's it's frustrating that you know you feel like we're going to be doing our over under podcasts here in a couple months and I'm going to be like Ohio State college football playoff Ohio State they should be a national championship contender Dwayne Haskins you know uh, whether it's Tate Martell but you know we're going to be talking about Grinch and this defense as a reason why they could be you know one of the best in the country and so I I looked at that one and I thought it was just really really impressive in terms of just like the the general uh, improvement the Elko to AM was like, that's that is a that's a good thing for Jimbo Fisher. I still don't know. Like as LSU is trending down, I certainly think there is an opportunity 
for Jimbo to have what would be considered by a lot on the outside some kind of instant success. But I don't know if I'm going to be. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be leading the charge on the A&M Dark Horse quite yet. I think that I, I will be happy to uh, be late to the bandwagon. As much as much as I have been a Jimbo champion uh, at times from his work at Florida State and in the ACC, and enjoyed uh, you know the character of of Jimbo Fisher, I, I I think that I might just be too scarred from uh, from that from together everybody achieves more. You know, I just. I might be too scarred by the by the uh, the opening boot press guy. conference. Yeah, he's a big boot guy. <laughs> like, like I, I I don't know. I'm I'm curious. Yeah. I'm, I'm, like I don't know. I'm I th- I'm going to be late to the bandwagon. There there are going to be people no, that I, are going to try I, to lead the charge, and I'm not going to be one of them. I I agree. I I've I've got some a And M hesitations as well. I do think that that was a as you know as our podcast listeners well know. I think that's a home run hire defensively. I also think like that's a that's kind of a boss move by Elko too to go take a two million dollar job in the SEC West while the West is just loading up with elite coaches like that's he's like that you know he's about to go compete at the highest level like at the biggest stage and go try to beat you know Alabama and and, and Auburn and LSU and all those guys so um, you know props to him for making that move but I don't know that that was some no brainer to make uh, I. I I like the fact, if you think that, that I was a uh, an Elko fan, um, I'm a huge Clark Lee fan, too, uh, who's, who's now the Notre Dame off, uh, defensive coordinator. I, I like that, that Brian Kelly stayed in-house for that hire. Uh, it would have been really easy for him to go get more of like a name, like even like a Bob Diaco or something that would have just sort of been a, hey, been a head coach, you know, coach of big names programs. And instead, he just promoted within – because if you want Elko's defense, the best guy to run Elko's defense is Clark Lee. And even though he's never got doesn't have coordinator experience, uh, he's a really impressive coach who's who could be sort of if it's the right hire, that could be like a, I mean that, that could be a long term answer there. So uh, I was impressed that he stuck to his guns, made that hire. Um, one other one I, I I'd be curious your thoughts on Missouri's going Derek Dooley. At offensive coordinator, what was your reaction to that? Jokes. I mean, it's <laughs> like it's we're still like he went from uh, the the Tennessee debacle and like quickly resurfaced with the Dallas Cowboys and spent most of the 2017 NFL season with Des Bryant yelling at him and cameras catching it. Like I was like, oh man, can't say that right now. Public perception is buzzing for Derek Dooley <laughs> but hey like you know if you can if if you can continue the uh if you can continue the offensive success that they've been able to have then you know it's a good chance for Derek Dooley to try and resurface in college football but uh let me I let me go on the record my word or my reaction is not inspired by Derek right. Dooley to Missouri you know I I was I was um down in Charlotte kind of your way at the coaches convention for a couple nights and ran into a bunch of Missouri coaches over the course of the weekend. And, um, just as sort of picking their brain about the hire, I, I think one, one big factor in play there for them is like helping their defense out, like just trying to get a coach in that can not abandon the, 
the um, not abandon the you know the the spread completely, but just pl- like incorporate some pro style elements to keep that defense off the field a little bit, protect it a little bit, and also I think maximize Drew Locke's potential and 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 even give him a little bit more preparation for the NFL um, and, and and you know get him to to learn to read a defense a little bit, get him to you know. Uh, establish some of those elements to his game um, and because I think obviously all that's going to help them long term and developing their other quarterbacks and they got a couple good ones on the roster in, in the quarterback room so uh, on the surface I don't I don't like it either <laughs> it's not doesn't feel inspired either it was almost just such a departure from what they had but in just you know talking a little bit more to some people around that program I, I'm going to give it a chance like I, I I could see sort of what they're looking for and where they're coming from on this side. Um, there was uh, every there. There was the usual. First of all, very upset with Bruce Arians for just messing around with everybody and making the content aggregators talk about this Nick Saban to the Giants stuff. I know, right? That was very upsetting. Uh, <laughs> but there's the 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 usual circle of names, and it's you know different every year. But there's always sort of uh, new additions to it. Matt Rule, do you? Think that like what has made Matt Rule become another one of those names that if it started already, I would imagine that we're going to. I mean, like Kirk Ferentz, you know, every year Kirk Ferentz is is listed. What what is it that gets a college coach into that uh, that NFL um, you know potential coaching rumor cycle? I wouldn't surprise to see Rule like in in that NFL buzz world because I, I don't I mean he's just like I think he's developed a really strong reputation among other coaches I it was a little bit like I mean it was startling I guess initially because like he just signed what a seven-year deal yeah um so that was a little bit I mean that's if you're gonna bail on a seven-year deal in year two then that's uh, that's something but I he I mean he has an NFL type of profile I mean, doesn't have a ton of experience in the NFL, but like that's the type of name that's gonna. I mean, whether I mean he was sort of a hey, like Greg Schiano kind of was a similar <clears throat> profile, like developed a Rutgers program, pro style type of guy, has some background, like like rules has background. I feel like on both sides of the football, um, just a sort of a coach, and so I wasn't necessarily shocked to see it. Uh, I think it's I always think it's funny when like now all of a sudden it's it's like. Um, he turned down the Giants to stay at, at Baylor. It's like, nah, that ain't what happened, bro. Like, <laughs> you, you, you wouldn't try to chase that job down. You didn't get it, and now you're trying to spin it. Like, uh, I, I, I think he's. I think he would have loved to jump ship to go to to New York. And can't say that I blame him. But but that I think that makes sense for a long term destination for Matt Rule as the NFL. Uh, um, from so we also we mentioned we're here on the 16th uh the declaration the date for declarations for underclassmen has just passed uh we've got bryce love back damian harris back alabama loses bo scarborough calvin ridley uh ronnie harrison um who else uh deron Payne also uh off to the nfl uh, Clemson returns the whole defensive line. Barton, we talked about Clemson having the best individual unit in the college football playoff. I thought that um, 
the for sure Christian Wilkins would be gone. I'd heard yeah. you know rumblings that Cleveland Farrell might come back, but Austin Bryant could have gone, and so they've got the entire starting defensive line all back for 2018. Um, like that's it's insane. Man. That's ins- yeah, it's crazy. Like this is this makes uh this makes Clemson's like already for next year one of the most intriguing team like Alabama with the way that it finished the national championship game with the freshmen and now Clemson with the uh with the return of Christian Wilkins and the rest of the Power Rangers like we are right back where we started thinking about Clemson and Alabama. Yeah, I mean obviously Clemson's got to figure out quarterback and Kelly Bryant is capable there so maybe they've already figured it out but this is, I mean, Christian Wilkins to me was a lock first rounder. Maybe I, I don't know. Maybe I got to check with the NFL folks and 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 um, double check that perspective. But he's he certainly was. I had a penciled in. Cleveland Farrell was a a first round potential guy as well. And now, I mean, I, I'm I'm just sort of blown away that they're doing like this is this is insane that this good of a group is coming back in full when literally three of these guys could have left and been topped two or three round picks at the least so man this is and and not to mention they're bringing in like three or four five-star defensive linemen yeah in in this class coming in right now uh i mean god whatever clemson has got in the water over there whatever there's you know whatever their players lounge looks like must be must really be you know getting these guys excited because golly they're coming back and and i think it's funny too like you talk about those guys alabama's losing um you know after brian dayball left for the the bills i'm I'm sure you saw this like jeff scott the the clemson co-offensive coordinator posted a a graphic with all like the the tenures of all their the coaches on their staff you know jeff scott being a 10-year guy um tony elliott seven years in Robbie Caldwell, seven years. Britt Vittable, six years. And, and then you sort of look at Alabama and all the, the turnover on their coaching staff. So Clemson's proud of this, that people want to stay there. And and I think it's it's valid. Like, it, it's the proof is there, man. People actually do want to stick around at Clemson. And and I think that's one of the great traits Stabo Sweeney has as a head coach is people want to coach under him and people want to play for him. I think it the big uh, – one of the big things that it sort of brings me back to is just the idea that – and listen, this like Clemson is not the first team to do this, and Clemson is not the only team to do this. But just from from covering the team, you hear these little tidbits, and what sticks out is that they seem to have as good a read on their players and their bodies and where they are. And part of the thing that Clemson takes so much pride in is those rotations, and like they don't have. Uh, high snap counts for a lot of their stars and, and they put those they cycle those bodies in and out and we look at it as we break Clemson down as like well you know that's that's one of the things that makes them so tenacious is they've always got fresh bodies coming in they're you know they're always able uh, to to be outlasting you in the third and fourth quarter and you know like the the story that I shared before the fact that you know Dexter Lawrence just his body was a little banged up, so in the middle of the season, they just gave him two games off, and so all of a sudden, you're able to continue to build that depth. And there's something about that that I wonder if you know if you were considering 
uh, whether you're you're coming back or staying, just knowing that the room is loaded, and if you need to take a blow, like the team is not going to be suffering. You know, if you really need to be pulled out of the lineup, the team will be able to continue to play winning football. And that kind of trust in the coaching staff, that kind of trust in the program, like that's uh like that that's the kind of stuff where you're looking at Dabo Sweeney knowing that he had an unconventional route to the you know, what we would consider now sort of the top echelon of college football coaching. And it's like that's the that's like the CEO type uh job that you gotta be able to do just knowing your players and figuring out how to be able to keep what's best in for them. Uh, so that they can be able to be fresh and they can be able to keep their bodies healthy because these there's no way that Christian Wilkins comes back if he thinks that he's going to be playing 75 snaps a game and he, he doesn't have anyone behind him who can maintain that level of play. Yeah, but if you're Christian Wilkins, like, you got to go, man. Like, why, <laughs> I, I, I'm still surprised that he, like, you're probably a first-round draft pick. What is what is your motivation to stay? You got a national title under your belt. Like, you've, you've played, like, you've had your fun. Like, I, I'm never going to, like, I mean, if he just enjoys college, I mean, hell, I enjoyed college. I, I, I'm, I stayed for an extra semester um, because you know, I had an injury and, and took an extra semester and, and really an extra year in New Haven. And hey, it was a blast. Glad I did it. But like, I, so I'm not, I stayed for an extra semester. There was yeah. no injury. I just needed an extra <laughs> semester to get out of there. <laughs> so like, I have no, I have no, I have no hate for it. Like, I get it, but at the same time, I didn't have millions of dollars waiting for me. Um, so I, I'm a little bit, um, you know, it's surprising to me. And like on the flip side, like what the hell is, is Bryce Love doing coming back? I mean, I don't get that at all. I mean, that's a dude who's got, I mean, was beat up this year. They'll run him into the ground at Stanford. They're not scared to give him a bunch of carries. Uh, and he would be probably the second running back taken this year. I would think he, he's certainly in the conversation to be we, right there. We behind had him Saquon number Barkley. three. Yeah, we had him number three with uh, it was like right. It was like Saquon Barkley is like a top ten pick, uh, and Love and Geist were both like between twenty and thirty, depending on yeah. who ends up you know testing better or whatever. But man, I I think Bryce Love might be a doctor. Do you do like? instead of football or in addition to football uh i don't know i just think that uh i think that you in just think tw- that the academic interests are are, are, are that i think yeah uh, that paramount huh? that, like yeah. there's there's those stories about uh you know most of bryce love's classmates have no idea that he was a heisman finalist like right. are just completely unaware of football success they just know him as like bryce who yes is on the football team and is in these like high level molecular biology classes. Like yeah, that is that is remarkable. Like, like that is that's so impressive. Like I, I just I just think that he he might be like the the go, going pro in something other than sports. Like I think I think he'll probably go to the NFL, but I, I think that his decision to come a back a couple years out and then like yeah. you know. Yeah, I could see that. It, that makes some sense. That that's the only way this makes sense. If you have if you have NFL aspirations and if that's your primary aspiration, there's no there's no reason to come back if you're Bryce Love, none. But if if truly like, you know, the the academic side of it is that important to you, which it very well might be, then I, I guess I, I I you know then that that makes some sense. On the flip side, I love the Damian Harris decision. Mm. So Damian Harris was a 
kind of an afterthought in Alabama's offense this year. And I'm not saying he's going to be the center point le- next year because it's going to be two in those receivers is, is, is I think, the was gonna, is going to be the story. But I thought all year that Damian Harris, if he was in – you know, if you trade Bryce Love for Damian Harris and Damian Harris is at Stanford, he, Damian Harris would have been a Heisman finalist. Right. Uh, I think he's that good. But he just didn't get the workload. Didn't so they lose the track of, of him? Didn't it feel like at the beginning of the year we were talking about him like one of the best running backs in the country, and then the, he just sort of got lost in the mix down the the stretch of the season? Yeah, Brian Dayball lost track of him, or or whoever's in charge of the running back rotations. Burton Burns got lost track of him. Like I don't know, but he wasn't. He just didn't get the work. Yeah, because when he's in, he's good. Every time he's in, he's good. And so I I like a. I think he'll get he'll he'll get a little bit more of a feature role this year. And B, this running back class in 2018 is just silly, man. Like, it's so good. You can get, like, studs in the fifth round, I'll bet you. Like, this is – and so, to me, like, if you're Damian Harris, it makes a lot of sense. Like, you don't have a lot of tread on your tires anyways. You come back next year, maybe you're more of the guy. And you – and you know, but you also know you're not going to get overworked. And it's going to be a, a running back class that's a lot less – that's a, that's not as deep, not as not as top heavy either, and and you may be a first round guy. Like I could, I, I think he's absolutely that first round type of uh, of of upside. Damian Harris has uh, the potential to be a thirteen hundred yard rusher next year. Definitely, yeah. I don't uh, know that I, I expect it because he's still got Josh Jacobs, he's still got Najee Harris, um, but he is he's definitely got that ability. And you still got just the fact that oh, all right. So how about this? Uh, we're gonna spend all offseason talking about this it'll be the number one topic in spring practice so let's just go ahead let's go ahead and get the ball rolling uh what do you think is the most likely outcome of the Jalen Hurts to a Tagovailoa conundrum wow I mean yeah that's this I mean I shouldn't act surprised by this question it's not the first time it's been thrown at me but I don't have a good answer for it I I my hunch is that Jalen Hurts just sticks around and just plays another year and maybe then grad transfers after next year what, where are you at with it? I I think that they're both there, and I, I yeah. think I think they figure out ways to use them both, and like Tua might might technically be QB one. Tua might not technically be QB one, but the fact that the game plan from the bowl practices was to establish a rotation that both players were cool with it, but then in the Clemson game, the defense was so dominant that they felt like they didn't need to put Tua in yet, like they didn't need to play that card. And then the fact that even at halftime, the game plan was for Jalen Hurts to come back in and that they would rotate, but then they stuck with Tua, just kind of has me thinking that both players might be okay with the idea that you might see action, you just got to be ready to go. I think Tua's probably the QB1, and I think Jalen Hurts becomes a situational quarterback, and, uh, and I think they're both down to play and share snaps for one more season. Tua's got to be the quarterback one. He's got to be QB one. There's, there's. I mean, I think, I think Jalen finishes spring practice as QB one. People just lose their minds. <laughs> I'd lose my mind. Like I want to see Tua because wanna, if, if Tua had been, thing. if Tua had been the starting quarterback all season, I think Alabama loses one more game in the regular season. I think I don't know if Alabama beats Mississippi State on the road with Tua instead of Jalen Hurts. Oh, see, I disagree. I think had had what happened to Georgia happened to Alabama. If Jalen Hurts gets hurt week one, two was forced into the starting role, and then and and then 
you know, he, he goes on to beat Florida State. And then, you know, I can't remember how their schedule played out the next couple weeks. But, but he goes and wins those games. And he's, he starts to look really good doing it, which I, I think he would have. Then instead of you getting two in there in the national championship game and basically his first meaningful action of the season and he has a couple bonehead mistakes, he had those in week two and three. Mm. Now you start to see him grow with the team. And I think you look at Alabama and, and like they may go undefeated. And they may be a team that, like, there was never any doubt that they were the best team in college football all year long. So I, I think that had Tua been the starter from the jump, like, I don't think they win another game. I, I, don't, I, don't think, I do not think that they would have lost a game. In fact, I think that they would not have had a close game. Like, I, that's how, like, much confidence I have in Tua – and what he would have provided their offense. Like, imagine, like, how good were those running backs, right? And yet, like, they didn't just, they didn't have a whole lot of games. I mean, they did against some of the less, the more inferior teams. But against the really good teams, like the Mississippi States of the world, they, those guys couldn't get loose because there was no threat that Jalen Hurst was going to hurt you in the pass game. And imagine if, if all year long, Tua is threatening defenses vertically. With those receivers... With Calvin Ridley and, and, and those those other freshmen and, and, and even Robert Foster and Cam Sims, like I, I just think that Alabama would have been unstoppable. And I think I, that's why they're I think they're gonna be such a scary team next year with that offense. All right. So from the Alabama quarterback debate to Clemp back to Clemson, uh, as you know, you were at the uh, the US Army All American Bowl. You we checked in uh, as you were checking out the practices. Remember, you you came back with rave reviews on Michael Parsons. Guy's just going to be an absolute beast for Penn State. One of the big things you wrote about uh, coming out of that game was Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence had a little bit of a, a rocky start to his uh, game in the uh, in the Army Bowl, but the the talent there and, and something that you've talked about a lot should suggest that there's no reason to rule him out for uh, the Clemson starting job. And I think you even said something on Twitter during the Clemson-Alabama game, just the idea that watching Kelly Bryant uh, and some of his struggles against the Alabama defense, it was hard not to think that uh, that would be a spot where if Trevor Lawrence is there, maybe that Clemson offense can show a little bit more life against the Tide. Yeah, I, I, I think I would be – like I'm very torn on, on Trevor Lawrence. I mean, he's going to beat our, our number one player – and and yet, like, I could see a scenario where, like, where he's not, like, a day one starter-ready guy. I mean, he looked great in practice at the Army Bowl. He's looked great in games throughout his, his high school career. During the game, like, he wasn't necessarily uh, outstanding, but he did have, a you know, the game-winning drive. He was, like, seven, you know, seven of nine for 68 yards and a touchdown. So, but I've always thought like that he provides something that, that Clemson could use, like which is like a true passing threat, like a true identity as a as like a team that's going to spread the ball around. Uh, Kelly Bryant, I think they're you know they're sort of mixed in between there, like they're sort of in no man's land with Kelly Bryant. I'm not sure they know really what they are, and and I'd, I'd be hesitant on saying Trevor Lawrence could be the starter, much more so if not for having seen what we just saw the last. I mean, by the end of the game, we had two true freshmen playing against each other the second yeah. half. Yeah. And last year, we had a different true freshman in the national championship game. So it's not like this is suddenly like a very common thing. 
and to, for especially for the really elite level quarterbacks and the really elite level programs. And you know, Trevor Lawrence is enrolling early, and he's going in there with the mindset he wants to win a starting job. And Clemson's told him they're going to give him every opportunity to. So, I I think that Clemson is probably a best case scenario for them is is Trevor Lawrence being ready to play because I think that gives them a pass element uh, that opens up some of their run game a little bit and and really utilizes what's a pretty good young receiving core too. So I'm not saying he's going to win the job, but I think if he does win the job, then that's a that's probably a, a positive for Clemson. I go back to Deshaun Watson's freshman year when Cole Stout was the starter at the beginning of the year. Deshaun Watson ends up starting like four or five games in the middle of the season, ends up getting hurt. Uh, so Stout finishes the year, but that it was Clemson, Georgia in the very first game of the season. Stout was the starter. And after a couple series, uh, Deshaun came in. I remember he threw a, a rope down the sideline for like a 20, 25 yard gain. And you were just kind of like, whoa, okay. Yeah. And I could see us having that same experience with Trevor Lawrence where, uh, you know, he in those early games when Clemson's up by a bunch, he does a lot of wild stuff, like kind of the way that Tua did against like your Tennessee and Vanderbilt and those blowout wins. And uh, and yeah, like you said, if if he gets called on, if, if Clemson needs a spark, if they need a little bit more of a, a spread passing attack, if they need to be able to push the ball down the field a little bit better, that – that glorious mane, those golden locks will come flowing out from underneath that uh, that orange helmet. I honestly, and, and, and I, you know, all, all this could be sort of for not if Kelly Bryant sort of continues to evolve and improve, because in some ways I, I'm more confident in him as a passer than say I was with Jalen Hurts. Is that fair to say? Mm. Or are they kind of just same boat? I think I think they're same boat. Um, I think I like. Kelly Bryant because Kelly Bryant just didn't even take a lot of shots down the field at all Jalen Hurts would he would just had a lot of misses you know like on those those play action passes where he just chucks it 40 yards down the field so far that only Calvin Ridley can get it but too far for Calvin Ridley to get it and I remember I was doing a Kelly Bryant thing prior to the semifinals and I was using our good friends from pro football focus and you just realize how much of his passes are screen passes and short to intermediate routes um, just not a not a whole lot of deep balls thrown, and and not no, it, it was. And that, that's one of the things with Kelly Bryant is like it felt like every completion is schemed for him, right? Like they 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 manipulated the defense with game plan and gave him his receiver, and there's where he is, hit him, and and I thought he's pretty good at doing that. He was but, pretty good at doing that. He was like a 66 percent passer, right? Right. But I don't know. But you're not going to get much more than that out of him, like. You're not going to get him to just pick apart a defense, uh, and I guess that, and I think Trevor Lawrence does have that ability, even as a true freshman. Um, you know, might take some growing pains, but hey, it looks like they're going to have the defense to to, get, to give them a little bit of uh, a leeway. Oh man, dude, T. Higgins is going to be a star next year. I'm ready for that. That was a, that was a player that I saw uh, later in the year. I kind of felt like we saw a little bit more of him. What was he like coming out of high school? Uh, well, what, I mean, he, his film was awesome. He's a basketball player. He's got all kinds of dunk highlights. So, but he's a little bit raw, but big kid. And so I think that, you know, we always felt like, all right, crazy ceiling. And I know Clemson felt like he was like the best receiver that they'd evaluated since like AJ Green. Like they really liked him. And so 
not surprised to see him flash early on. I think he's only going to get better, especially with, with that staff uh, and the way they develop their receiver position. Jeff Scott's, I mean, his, his resume speaks for itself. All right, before we, uh, before we get you out of here, we talked about Trevor Lawrence. We already hit on Micah Parsons. Uh, anybody else from the Army Bowl that really stood out or any storyline that, you know, as you left San Antonio, you came away uh, with your mind changed or an idea reinforced? Oh, uh, you know, I think I, I think I saw a lot of guys that have a chance to start as true freshmen. Um, like another another guy I think could, you could see starting as a true freshman is Jaron Williams, a quarterback who's going to Miami. Um, I think that I think either he or Nikosi Perry is going to win that starting job. Ooh. I don't think Malik I don't think Malik Rozier is going to be your starter next year at Miami. Um, and so I think that's that's something to watch. I also think. Georgia, like one of the things that I'm bullish about with the University of Georgia is the way they recruit on the offensive line. Um, this kid, Jamari Sawyer, probably the best offensive guard prospect that I've, that I've covered. Um, and he's going to Georgia. I think he'll start as a true freshman. Um, I think he'll beat out Kendall Baker. Uh, Damn. And, and I think he'll be a true freshman starter. And then they'll have – so then – So then it'll be like him and uh, Andrew Thomas like lining up Andrew right next Thomas, to each other? And then, you know, Ben Cleveland's a redshirt freshman that was a starter this year. So that, like, you know, you then you're just talking about, like, a long-term upside for that, you know, for that offensive line and, and for that offensive unit. Um, you know, Texas had a bunch of DBs in this game, and, and, and I think that they've, they've got – they've put together a really, really good defensive back class. Um, and I think those guys flashed um, in San Antonio as well. Really liked what I saw out of them um i don't know i think look i, th- I think i think Notre Dame's getting some good players on defense too jason adam alola and, and uh shane simon are perfect fits for for what they do defensively for what clark lee does and mike elko do um and and so i, th- I think that you're going to see those guys compete and contribute early um i don't know man i could keep on going josh belk that's the next big defensive tackle for clemson that's going to be a beast Damn. uh I mean, they've got – Clemson had three guys in that game on the defensive line that were among the three best players in, in the game. And, I mean, it's just they, – they just – they're on autopilot right now bringing in these elite defensive linemen, man. They're, they're, Clemson is, is doing something right. That's awesome. All right, he is Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We got National Signing Day coming up in just a few weeks, so we will cycle back with uh, with what to watch, the names, the teams, uh, what's going to be coming up. Uh, Barton, thank you very much. All right, brother. <laughs>